Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me here to make today not just a good day, but a great day, is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. I would love to hold up a cup of coffee and agree with you, but I will just agree with you without the cup of coffee. So yes, what if I want a, day. a cappuccino? Though I can make that happen. I feel right. inspired to make one, even though I would never drink it. I would be inspired to make one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are missing out, my friend. But... I know, I know. <laughs> well, this week we are circling back to discuss Free Guy, one of our favorite movies of the summer, to celebrate its release on disc and its rentability on video on demand. This is your spoiler alert. We are going to talk about the film in detail. We're going to spoil the plot. We're going to talk about its themes. And if you haven't seen it, by all means, go check it out. We don't talk about movies anymore that we don't like. So if we're having a conversation about it, it's a recommendation, period. That is how it goes. So you can be assured that we would appreciate you watching the movie and then coming back and being able to hopefully get something more out of our conversation that we're going to have here today. So that was your warning. With that said, we're just going to go ahead and get right into it. Patrick, I want to start where the connected the connecting point for me kind of is for this movie, not connecting point emotionally, but just the fact that this movie is about a video game. It's a video game world. That is what had me excited about it. I had plenty of reservations as well because it seemed to be a straight comedy in which Ryan Reynolds was going to play Ryan Reynolds, who he's played in every movie for the last, I don't know, at least probably half a decade or more. And I have grown increasingly tired of Ryan Reynolds and his shtick and some of the way that the comedy goes down. And so I had some reservations despite being excited about this premise of it taking place in a virtual video game world. But there thankfully was plenty here for me to enjoy and i love the movie and i love the video game-ness of it the references and the way in which it takes a video game kind of skin and puts it on top of this idea of the truman show in a lot of ways that's sort of like a quick elevator pitch for the plot i think if you really want to boil it down and so i wanted to start with you and find out because I've seen it three times now, <laughs> and I have raved about it on the podcast uh, previously when we did our FF Plus episode on it, but I wanted to know how it works for you as far as the video game stuff goes. Like, what did you like? What did you find confusing, if anything? Because the thing is that this movie is made for Gen Z. I, I wrote Gen Z in the notes. I think Gen Z is what we are currently in. I, I don't know. I, yeah, the iGen is what it's called. I think another name for it is oh iGen. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. Is it seriously? It really is. Yeah. That's it, really That's another name for but, it. But <laughs> 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 it's for them. So like when I took my kids to see this, right, everything is based off of the type of games they play and the things that they do within the sphere of gaming. So it, it really appeals to that generation. And I wondered, as someone who is much more removed from video gaming, like current video game news, new stuff as you are compared to me, 
like how that played for you as well. Well, I enjoyed it. It was a great just movie experience as a whole. Um, this is one that I got to watch with my wife, which is <laughs> she jokes with me. She said uh, something tonight. We were talking about it. And I, I, I told her, I seriously make reference to you anytime we get to watch a movie together because it's rare that we do. Most of the movies that I watch are not movies that she's into. She's not into the Bond stuff. So I'm sitting in a quiet theater by myself, you know, watching things blow up and uh, Daniel Craig be Daniel Craig. So this is one of those movies. I mean, even Dear Evan, Evan Hansen, she just wasn't available to watch it, even though she wanted to. But, you know, we have a podcast to maintain and, you know, sometimes things just take priority. So I want to rewatch that with her because I know that she'll enjoy it. This one we both really enjoyed and she loves Ryan Reynolds. I think, I mean, I, he call she calls him her, her movie boyfriend or one of her movie boyfriends, which is fine. I mean, of a husband of 13 years, I'm pretty secure in that. So I don't think she's, he's going to leave <laughs> Blake Lively and they're going to run off. I was going to say, yeah, but that's kind of funny because Blake Lively you have a crush my, on Blake yeah. Lively, yeah. right? Yeah, so we, we would, we would hang out. We would be fun couples to hang out with. Just kind of have an understanding that, you know, it's just kind of like crush opposite crush kind of stuff. But I had a really good time with this. She really enjoyed it as well. We were surprised at the nuances of the movie, things that kind of came not out of left field, but things that were surprising, some of the more softer elements. And when I think about Ryan Reynolds, there's a more subtle Ryan Reynolds that I think comes out in this movie. It's not Deadpool, even though you've got the writers of Deadpool you know, screenplaying this, this feels more laid back. It feels more or less obnoxious. And I think it's the same way that I feel about a movie like Stranger Than Fiction, which I love Will Ferrell in Elf. And I think his obnoxious side is pretty funny to watch. But I also love that subtlety. You mentioned The Truman Show. Jim Carrey's more laid back drama. I think every big kind of physical comedian or loud comedian usually has a movie that's going to bring their softer side, their more melodramatic side. For some, it works. For others, it doesn't. This one, I think, is sort of Ryan Reynolds to an extent. I've seen him in some some rom-coms, and he's funny in that too, not, not obnoxious. But for me, when you look at the gaming aspect of it, I recognize enough as a casual gamer to pick up on some of those things, but I did notice there were obvious moments of exposition that got the less casual gamer into the world. What an NPC was, for instance. I mean, that's the crux of the movie. Having an NPC. What's an NPC? A non-playable character. There was the exposition there was it fit. It wasn't like something out of left field. And so I think watching this movie as a casual gamer, someone who knows about the GTA 5s, who's played those, who's played the, hasn't played the massive multiplayer online stuff like World of Warcraft, but who's aware of it. I think that there was enough kind of top heavy stuff that was familiar to the gaming world that a general audience could get into, along with all of those other things that we'll get into that we really enjoyed, that were peppered with so many different things so many different references that I wouldn't have gotten because I'm not a heavy gamer. So I think that it had a really great balance. Nothing was distracting. Everything felt very digital, which is what it's supposed to be. I think CG was on full display. And this is one of those movies where if you're going to criticize CG, this would probably be the best 
movie to do that because there's so much of it. But I didn't have any complaints. I thought it was really a lot of fun. The the movie opened up with me wanting to play Free City just because it's just this open world type thing. It's got that GTA feel to it, but it's also got that multiplayer feel where you've got those interactions, things that I'm not intimate with, but I'm aware of those kinds of, Hey, yeah, this guy's probably living in his mom's basement, which they play, you know, play off for laughs. Uh, you mentioned to me that that was Hugh Jackman. And I was like, I didn't know that. And so I had to go back and watch that clip. And I was like, of course, Hugh Jackman's in this because it's a Ryan Reynolds movie. And I just, I walked away really thinking, this is a movie that I want to rewatch. This is a movie that I want to take in some of the more details that I didn't quite get because there's a lot to look at. There's a lot to kind of make reference to. I don't want to look for all the Easter eggs because I'm not as invested in that kind of stuff, but I want to get into that world a little bit more and see some of the, really some of the more technical stuff that I wouldn't have appreciated the first time around. That's kind of how I go into movies. And I think you do too, where you're looking at the story. Does the story make sense? Is it entertaining? Does it grip you? And then that second viewing, because you want to rewatch it, you're looking at more of the artistic side of things that really make the movie what it is. So for me, that's what I felt leaving that first watch. And at some point, just like Ready Player One, I'm going to go back probably in like three or four months and say, let's let's cue it free guy. I know I'm going to have a good time watching it, but let's see how it holds up, which I think it's going to hold up fine because I had such a good time watching it. But I think overall, the gaming aspect of it and the leaning into that was not distracting at all. I think there was enough explanation for me that I didn't feel like I was wondering what was going on, along with all the other stuff that kind of hit on the the feeling side of things. Yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad because I definitely was concerned and I heard from some folks who went to see it, you know, that it was too much. So I think we're probably I think you have enough of an understanding that you can kind of tangentially under, you know, pick up on the things that they're right. they're mentioning. Right. Yeah. There's an aspect of it that I found to be hilarious, because if you are not at all into modern game culture or you don't know about it or don't have a kid essentially that is that is telling you what these things mean you would have no earthly idea what was really going on with like the twitch content creator portion of this story and luckily they keep these things i think all to minimum like this the movie in and of itself is so well balanced because it's not overly about gaming like it is set in that world but it it doesn't go so far overboard into the gameness of it that it takes people away from it like you like you said you can still get the the themes of the friendships and the romance and the fight for something that you created and the the fight for you know wanting to be alive or wanting to have freedom and not feel like you're contained like all of those things you can get even if you don't have knowledge of what a twitch creator is and why they're making comments on it or why this kid's in his basement and his mom's yelling at him and like you, you know like some of those little things that are kind of nods at the culture or jokes about the culture um but uh, yeah for the most part i thought it was done very well i will say gta was definitely kind of i think the biggest model idea here 
it's almost like a mix of GTA and Fortnite in a way, because, you know, you get the dropping in of Fortnite, which is what you do in that video game. I have so many favorite things about this referentially, but the the number one thing for me is just the fact that they were able to include the portal gun. Um, portal is one of my top three or four vi favorite video games of all time, a favorite series. And that was something that was completely unexpected. We'll talk about maybe some other IP stuff later on that's in this movie that was really fun, but that is not necessarily directly related to video games. But that is one thing that was like, this is a specific video game reference. And I had no expectation whatsoever because, you know, the studio that made the movie doesn't have a connection to Valve, which is the company that made the game Portal. So for them to specifically have the Portal gun in there, I just was geeking out like a major fanboy at that moment. Uh, but yeah, I, I loved it in general. Just Yeah, it's, it's so much fun to watch. And it is. What's interesting, Aaron, is I mean, I, I know about Portal. I've I've played it a couple of times. It's one of those that's on my like, you've got to play this at some point. But there's only so much time in my life that it will ever happen because, uh, unfortunately, uh, places like Humble Bundle just continue to eat me alive in terms of like, check this out, and I'm like, okay. So I've got like squirrel uh, reaction to all these games that I want to play. But what I really enjoyed is the method by which a lot of these things were used. And so when you talk about Fortnite and falling into the world, it's a great set piece to get you into the world of Free Guy narrated by by God. You know, he's got this is the world and these guys are this. And so it's it's almost as if you're dropping into this video game. Like I wanted to play it. I was like, this would be a lot of fun. I love the use of the glasses. I thought that was pretty fantastic and how you've got this population of people from an NPC's perspective that isn't so obvious at, at the very beginning, at least not to me. This is this is what I thought was kind of the aha moment. And if you want to talk about things that I enjoyed, the way in which we get introduced to the other side of the video game. Because when you go into a world like GTA, you have NPCs all over the place but you never think about the fact that NPCs have a world that they're living in when you leave or when you log off your, your game system. And so getting to that point where you have that, oh, wow, that's what we're looking at here. And to use at the very beginning this artifact of sunglasses to represent the players, I thought was really, really cool. It makes a lot of sense. And when Guy has that moment where he puts the glasses on, because he wants to talk to the girl, it really sets up the push for the rest of the story. And so I think the exposition was really well executed. And having all those references, whether you get them or not, they were all effective. They were all purposeful. They weren't necessarily just thrown in for, for laughs. The ones that were thrown in just for laughs were ones that were probably more broad stroke than a lot of people got, like Captain America's shield like the lightsaber. And I think that when you have that, that's smart writing because you have to understand your audience. And we talked about Ready Player One. Steven Spielberg did a brilliant job in updating the references. Us as 80s kids love reading the book, but this would not fly in a world of what, 2018, 2017, I can't remember when it came out a few years ago. Those references wouldn't fly to a larger audience. And so they had to make sense 
but they also had to be purposeful. And I think that all of the references that were subtle, that didn't feel so overblown, like the portal gun, served their purpose. Like they were a means to an end. But for those who understood portal and know that world, they're like, yes, that's amazing. To me, that's a great use of nostalgia. That's a great use of a throwback or a callback because you're not just throwing it in to kind of get the, ooh, it actually had a reason for being there. It actually made sense. It wasn't just a throwaway. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it, it was. And I, and I want to talk about the Disney stuff later because I, I don't, I do not think that that is in the same conversation as this. I, I don't think that those are, those have nothing to do with games. Those are there for a different purpose than the portal gun. And I think that it's a distinction we, we should talk about, but I want to talk about that later. And I want to talk first about like the themes and all these things that kind of like make free guy good <laughs> because it had the potential to be really bad. And there, so I'll be honest, like Patrick, like I don't love all the comedy in this. There is its fair share of stupid, dumb sexual comedy, you know, comedy that I think is unnecessary. And I just do not think is funny. And I, and it, I hate it. And if it, if it wasn't there, I'd be very, very, very happy. But it is, luckily, it's minimized. There's a few moments of it, enough that it doesn't completely ruin my viewing. But it's a Ryan Reynolds movie, and that's what some of the... Uh, honestly, I think the, the the issue is that, like, that appeals to today's generation. It's that simple. Like, kids laugh at that stuff. And I don't think it's funny, but they're laughing and so they put that in the movies like it's it, it you know that's why anything happens is because it makes money or it hits the spot for that audience that they're going for but my point being is i didn't think it was perfect but what connects all of this for me and makes it more than just oh hey this is a fun little nostalgic trip into a video game was all of these characters and the way that they interact and the actual emotion that comes from the storylines that that we see. And so I want to first talk about Guy because the big plot here is all about him wanting to evolve and get away from this mandated routine and see the world in a new way. So the, the video game that I think about all the time when I first saw this and when I watched it again, it's Skyrim because the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim was really like known for the way in which its world was alive. Its NPCs all have a very uniquely like coded routine. And it's different than what you normally see in a game like a GTA or whatever. Like GTA may have NPCs that are active on it when you're on a quest, right? They're going to do a certain thing because you're doing a certain thing and on a mission. Whereas this game Skyrim, the Elder Scrolls series, what it had was it had everybody in its world. They were on a 24 hour cycle. So if you were there at a certain time of day, they might be out chopping wood. You come back six hours later, they're in bed. You know, five hours after that, they may be, you know, making dinner in the kitchen, but like they had their own little routine they had their own pieces of dialogue it was very much like what we see with guy and so i kept thinking like man what how cool would it be like what if they actually like broke ranks from that like and i expected them to be there and they weren't and i love the the scenes in the movie where 
uh, Millie like is recognizing like, wait a second, like you're not supposed to say that you're supposed to be on this different loop. And so the movie deals with this whole issue that I absolutely love to explore of the red pill versus the blue pill, right? Do you stay in the world that is pure bliss and that you are completely blind? It's fake, but it's safe and it's simple or it's manageable in a way that it's predictable. Whereas the red pill, you have to deal with this world that is unknown and maybe it's mortal and you can not live on forever or whatever the case may be, but you have to deal with this reality that is very different. And I love that debate and, and Guy kind of doesn't really go into it in this movie. He doesn't, I don't think have that choice that he has to make. I think he very clearly is a character who just wants the real world. Like he just wants to see and break out of his routine, but he doesn't necessarily want to leave his world. He wants to change his world instead of just get away from it. He wants to alter it. Right. Yeah. I think that I would expand on that and say, you brought up a good point that the predictability of it, I think is what makes it appealing. If you're talking about the red and blue pill, I don't think it's ignorance being bliss as the matrix would say, because you're aware of your surroundings you're aware that things i don't think at any point guy is seeing the world as like this doesn't make sense this is not crazy i think he's starting to see idiosyncrasies after he kind of starts falling in love and when he breaks rank is when he gets determined so there's this there's this level of self-reliance that i think is starting to be a trigger He's not testing the waters necessarily of saying, hey, I'd like to try something different. And just to see how's the world going to change. What I think is really interesting about his journey is that it's not about him changing his world. It's not about him leaving his world. It's really about him saying, what am I missing that the world is offering that is, you know, in going through my routine that that I'm actually not being able to grab onto. And she is that idiosyncrasy. So by making that initial choice, he begins to discover not that there's a world beyond the video game, but that it's really about purpose. It's about, you know what? I can have a cappuccino if I want to, but only if I'm living in a world where that's free. Because that's really interesting, Aaron. His choices to change can really only be effective if, if other people do it because his daily interactions are with people who NPCs are also in a loop. Right. Exactly. And so it really speaks to the fact that if a man can change his stars, <laughs> as the late Heath Ledger would say, in this case, I would expand on that and say, but only if they affect others to change theirs, because what I think Free Guy does so well is it recognizes the fact that your influence only goes so far if nobody else is. That influence has to be impacted to others. It has to affect other people in order for things to actually change, in order for cycles to be broken, in order for people, NPCs or otherwise, to really feel like, oh yeah, we can be in charge of our world. 
but it's interconnected because if we're in charge of our world with nobody else, then what are we really in charge of? If I live on an island by myself, am I really in charge of anything? Yes, I'm in charge of my life, but I'm not being affected by anything apart from the trees or the coconuts or the water or the sand. And those things aren't doing anything to me. So am I really living my best life? Am I really in charge? And that's what I think Free Guy does, or at least how I responded to it, because it's what made the the last part of the film so great is that he was getting these NPCs to recognize that, yes, they can get out of their loop. And some may and some may not. You know, that guy, the the great visual joke of the guy that, you know, kept his hands up the whole time because that's what he did. Even after he went to the island, he was still kind of, he was still a habit. He still kept his arms up because that's just the world he knew. He wasn't denying this new life, but it was like, you look, you're, you lived your whole life doing one thing and you, you're, you're moving out of that. And so for Guy, I think having him in a place where the crux is getting the girl or at least talking to the girl, which is a fantastic, just elementary romantic comedy move. I kind of talk to the girl once I talk to the girl because, you know, she's cool and I'm not. It's such a great way to spark this evolution or this understanding that this NPC actually is an AI that speaks to a broader thing that's happening. And that's the other thing I really, really loved about this movie is that we didn't stay in the game. It wasn't just about him. Again, what he was doing was motivating other people outside of the game to change, to think differently, to look at the world differently. And I think that that's such a fantastic concept to say that if you cannot change enough to at least impact somebody else, your change doesn't matter. And so I thought whether it was trying to speak to that kind of truth I thought it did really well. That's interesting. I, yeah, I I love that you can get and pull different things out of it. I mean, that's one of the great parts of this type of story, right? Because there are so many different interactive pieces to how the character that is, quote, not real and the characters that are real come together and what they make how they make choices and how they go about making their decisions to to move forward within the life that they supposedly they think that they want. I, I like the simulation theory aspect of it because I don't subscribe to it really, but there's this idea out there, it's called simulation theory that kind of is there's a 50-50 chance that we really are not in control of anything. And, you know, from a religious standpoint, there's a level of this in faith in many faith systems, whether it's Christianity or otherwise, that, you know, we are controlled to an extent, like everything is known, everything is predetermined, if you will. And so I think humans wrestle with this all the time. And so then here it shows up in our storytelling, right? Because we're trying to use characters in other ways to kind of work through our feelings about how we would feel. And I love, there's some great dialogue that points this out in the movie. There's a couple pieces that I really latched onto. And one of them is when Guy tells Millie, I love you. And she says, you only think that because it's in your programming. And it's like, do we even have a choice? 
And does he? Because, you know, there's a part of me that, that initially goes, oh, that's a bummer. Like, it is only in your programming. And then a part of me wants to believe, right? And I want to go, but no, he's broken out of the mold. He's an AI. He's capable of his own choices. It has nothing to do with his programming. But then in reality, it's because of his program. It may have evolved, but it's it all goes back to the bottom line of like that great point that they make during, I don't remember, if we're in one of the interviews, I think, where it's like you authored, he, or I think Guy says it to Millie at one point. He's like, I am just a love letter to you, but I am not the author. I am just the letter. Like he acknowledges beautiful. it. And so you can, it is beautiful and you can read it two ways and you read it from Millie's perspective, but you can read, you read it from Guy's perspective. It's like an acknowledgement, right? How hard is that? And that's where the faith aspect I feel like comes in for me is like acknowledging that I'm not in control of all of everything. Like maybe I am just predispositioned to be a thing, or maybe I am predetermined to believe what I believe, you know, and, and how do I reconcile that? It's tough. It's very, very tough. And then there's another great scene in this movie that speaks to this wrestling and it's, it's another, and it's beautifully done as well. Lil Ray Howie, Howry in this movie is really good. Um, he, he's had, he's been good in a couple movies this year. There's another one. I, I can't remember. It's a dumb comedy with John Cena, but vacation friends, I think it was, but anyway, he's, he's funny. And I love, like, he's one of those comedians that you can't overuse, right? He has, he can be there for a few moments, but he can't be there the whole movie all the way through, or he's just, he just is not that kind of actor in my opinion. But there's this great scene at the end where Buddy and Guy are talking and Buddy and Guy's like, listen, you know, what are you, you know, what if I told you that we're not real? And he says, you know, what makes something real? He's like, does that matter? And he says this, he says, even if I'm not real, this moment is. And my friend needs me. And I'm making a choice to help my friend. Like, is even if we, even if there is a world that exists outside of us, this that's bigger than us, that's controlling us, right? If I am doing something for you in the moment within my world, does it matter what exists outside of us in that context, right? Does it lessen the value of what we're doing right here and right now in this moment, this relationship, these emotions, etc. And so I just find that stuff very powerful. And I was actually blown away that the movie handled it with such subtlety and like, really with care, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it, the movie itself, with all of its bombasticness and all of its humor, there are so many pockets of gentleness in the way that those particular themes are handled. And here's what I latched onto, Aaron, was those concepts of love. And I'm going to go with the conversation with Millie, like you mentioned, those two conversations you mentioned with Millie and with Buddy. Both of those things were predicated on an action. Because in both cases... Guy wasn't speaking abstractly to Millie about loving her. There were some actions that preceded that, and there were actions that followed that. And even though he was a program, even though it spoke to something larger, to an author, the actions themselves affected her in a way that she understood the concept of love. Now, you can make the argument, he's an AI. How does he understand what love is? Well, 
He can't. And this is where we get into that mystery of philosophy. How How is that possible? And there's an aspect of faith that that lives in that conversation where he is saying, I love you. And she goes, it's just your programming. And he says, it may be, but it doesn't negate the fact that it's true. Because love to her was something that she needed. And it was action, not just by him inside the game, but by keys. His choosing to walk away, break the NDA, and just say, you know what? You're right. I... I believe you, that belief in her, that belief in what she was doing. She wasn't just bringing him along to say, we got to get this guy. We got to take these people down. No, there was an involvement of his relationship with her that, of course, we find out later was more than just a friendship, that there was a deep love that he had for her that existed with Guy. And so watching both of those characters sort of embody this aspect of love. We saw action inside the game from him, from Guy. We saw action outside the game from Keys. And then you take that a step further with Buddy, sitting down and having that conversation. That was one of the, just the most poignant moments for me was when he said, this conversation is real. Well, what made the conversation real? Is it the fact that they're using subjects and verbs? The fact that they're using complete sentences? No, it's about the fact that there's empathy. The fact that Buddy looks at Guy and God looks at Buddy and they they truly do care about each other because they've lived this life over and over every day. And it's not the same dialogue. I mean, Aaron, when we watch them in those moments in the bank, the same thing happens, right? It's a bank heist. It's programmed into Free Guy or excuse me, Free City. <laughs> yeah. And they're just having a dialogue. But every day you kind of assume that the dialogue is different. They're not saying the same things. They might get to, yeah, you want to have beers at the beach afterwards? Sure, let's do that. But there is organic conversation that takes place with them. And that's what kind of gets you hooked on their friendship. And it's so beautiful, so beautiful at the end when they reunite <laughs> in the way in which he, when, when Buddy says, I was out here, I was on a bridge that was self-destructing. And all of a sudden, I'm like right here. And I rode on a dinosaur. And that was crazy. Again, the humor of that is so wonderful because you see Guy going, I'm just so happy you're here. And I love hearing your stories. I love the fact that you're here telling me that you were riding on a dinosaur like 10 minutes ago. That's amazing. I joke with Krisha afterwards. I said, you know what would have been kind of cool for my own heart was that Blake Lively shows up as an NPC, you know, this next level. He gets, his, he gets the girl. But it wouldn't have made sense for the movie. The coda for me, the coda for the movie that made sense was his reuniting with Buddy. And what a great name for a friend. He's your buddy, right? It's Guy's buddy. His name is Buddy. You know, I'm sorry, I'm getting into the, the, the elf kind of reference there. But I thought it was so great because we don't see that a lot. We don't see these, look, let's just call them what they are, platonic relationships that you root for. Luca had it. And this movie has it. And the subtlety that the filmmakers, the writers, and the director, and this whole crew give to those moments create amazing payoffs because this could have been a high action pg-13 crass joking make you laugh the whole time this could have been thor ragnarok especially with you know taika making his you know on-screen presence known any chance he got making me laugh as usual but this felt more like the lego movie where you had lots of fun but there's a story at the heart of it and the story matters and I think those two conversations that you bring up really do speak to the fact that we're not talking about what's real and what's not. 
I don't want to go so far as to say what's real to you should matter because I don't ascribe to that. What I believe is that those conversations matter because of the empathy that lived in those conversations, the actions that took place before and the things that happened afterwards that made me believe those were genuine friendships, friendships and relationships where these people cared about each other. These entities cared about one another. I think you, you hinted that a little bit with, um, with her, with the movie, her on a different level. What does it mean to fall in love with someone who doesn't exist? Well, that's a whole different philosophical conversation that, that free guy touches on, but I'm glad it doesn't go that route like completely because I think we've missed the, the, the genuineness and the sincerity of what the story is trying to tell if we went down that path, but it leaves it open for really great discussion. Like we're having. Yeah, I'm with you. I, you know, the platonic nature of their friendship was really important to me as well. Just the fact that it's not guy getting the girl and like the fact that you don't need that his evolution and his breaking his routine and finding a new life that he is completely and utterly satisfied by is just the people he already had in his life, but with freedom to do different things like you mentioned up top of togetherness and all of them impacting one another, but he didn't need the girl. And that's just refreshing. Like, I don't want every movie to be like that. Don't get me wrong. I love the rom-com. This movie has it both. And that's what's awesome. It, I, I texted you and I was like, well, there it is. Like third time watching this third time I cried. I feel dumb because this is not a movie that I should be crying at. But every time million keys, go into the classic rom-com scene. And that was very specifically filmed that way for a purpose. Like it feels like you are in the nineties and it is Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. And they are rushing to embrace in the middle of a raining road, right? Or it is when Harry met Sally, like it feels like that. And I, and it gets me like the score gets going and I want it so bad for them. I, they realize like she realizes, I know medium coffee, cream and two sugars. And it's just like, that piece of that simplistic line and the acknowledgement of what that means and someone's feelings, I think is so well done and so naturally presented to us in the way that it really happens in real life. Like that's when you have those moments of epiphany where you're like, oh crap, does that person feel this way about me? Because, oh, they've been doing this thing for me. Like they've been doing, you know, oh, they, they, you know, and you, you have those moments and it's beautiful. And for us to get that in the real world and this platonic friendship on the other side, it works out perfectly. And, and you get to see the importance of both things individually. Uh, as you know, and, and I just I think it's so, so good. I love the million keys relationship throughout the movie. I think it is again, very naturally presented because they are co workers who are creating this thing together, they have poured their creative heart into a, something that they both believe in and have a passion for. It is not surprising that you would naturally have an attraction to each other and kind of connect on a deeper level when you spend that time together and you share that much of your self into something. And then just the way that keys doesn't push the issue. Like I actually really appreciate that. And he's not spending his entire life trying to get Millie like he clearly loves her and he knows that, but he's not going to try and tell her like, I love you and you need to love me because he doesn't, it's not worth ruining 
what or whatever they still have and what, what they did have in the past, right? When they were working together, it was too important. And I love that. And it takes Bumper, sorry, Donald, uh, Donald, not Bumper, um, giving him the, the like, come on, dude, like at the end, another cool friendship in the movie, right? Like, I like their dynamic. That's their The comedy between them is, he's, he's hilarious. Him and his like pink bunny suit. I is maybe the funniest thing in the movie. I don't know. Like it's hard not to when he just shows up out of the cop car and he like takes the mask off and it's just like I just I die. I die because it is so realistic with the way that gaming works these days when like we spend money to get any kind of quote skin for our characters that we possibly can. Fortnite is built on a world of microtransactions where you're buying skins. You want to be Batman so you can look like Batman where you run around the world. This guy is like that epitomized. He just he wants to run around the world looking like a bunny <laughs> rabbit. I'm sorry. But anyway, I like their friendship as well and how it eventually becomes more important than the come up in the industry and the job. Right. And he ultimately gets to that point, it takes him a while. And I think that's also realistic. I guess that's my one more takeaway. It's realistic to me that you would struggle with that because like here you are making a name for yourself. The guy in charge of the company is relying on you. All you got to do is just stand there and let him hammer the servers, right? And like you are advancing in the company. You're coming, you're coming up the chain and you are growing your career and it takes something that is really difficult choice wise to come back from that and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Like this is more important. Like there's a purity that's more important. There's an integrity that's more important or my friends are more important. And I love that he eventually gets to that place and is working with them in the end. Well, and there's an underlying theme of that going on where you have Millie who is fighting for the integrity of her, of their project of their creation i mean she's essentially fighting for her baby and you know keys i won't say he's given up but i think he feels like he's migrated to what could be at least the beginning my understanding of him was that by hooking up with with antoine's company he felt like he could continue to do good but you know that he ends up being unhappy because he doesn't level up essentially in the real world. I mean, he, he doesn't get beyond customer service or fixing bugs. And I think he realizes that he's made a mistake. But what Millie does is I think she inspires, just like what Guy does in the game, she inspires that idea of let's do what's right. Let's live above reproach. Let's live with integrity. And she validates that near the end, Aaron, when when she tells Antoine, look, keep everything. Let me just have my code. Have what... She's not looking for him to just fall on his face. I mean, she doesn't care. And I think in a lot of ways that could come across as really like hokey, really Pollyanna-esque. But this movie doesn't sell that. This movie really makes me feel like by the end, you know what? I would like to be a part of an, a startup. I would like to be part of something that feels organic as opposed to something that feels repetitive that demands a sequel because it's just got to get bigger and more bloated and all these different things. And I think the idea that she brings to the table in the form of 
her code or their code that Keys eventually latches onto and that uh, the mouser eventually latches onto is this idea that, you know what? We created this because we're creators and we created this for the world. And if people latch onto it, great. And if they don't, that's okay too. Now, you're always going to ask the question, well, what are you going to do for money? I mean, that's, but that's not something that's, that's harped upon here. It's something that, you know, anybody's going to think about when you do a startup, you always want to think about, is this going to be profitable? Or even if you're doing something for a nonprofit, how do we make this successful? Well, it's both are about people. Video games are about who buys it, who stays, especially when you're dealing with online stuff, stuff that has interconnectivity. How easy is it to connect with somebody else? How easy is it to navigate the UI? How, how easy is it to make this thing feel like it's worth being in for hours at a time? I'm not a, a WoW player, but I imagine that there's a lot of that that exists in World of Warcraft that keeps people online. Same thing with Fortnite. that keeps people in that world beyond just the game mechanics. And I think that what Millie and Keys have with their program is something that's always going to evolve. That AI is always about evolvement, always about changing. And I think that's what they feel like is appealing to the world that they're trying to invite to it. By the end, when she says to Antoine, keep what you have, I just want this. I think it's just about preserving that purity, knowing that it can evolve again. Just like when the server reboots and a kiss gets Guy back into him remembering everything, I think they feel that same way about their island, about this, this world that they were originally going to create, that it has a chance to regrow and regroup with these NPCs that he wants to just throw out because they're not cool anymore. And and that's really beautiful. But I think that idea of living above reproach and having that kind of integrity for your creation lives throughout both inside the game and outside, which the movie definitely plays with um in a in a great way, in an entertaining way, but also in a very like a, a good dramatic way that I could latch onto emotionally. It does. And I, I think it is an I feel like I'm well, by the way, when I was saying Donald, I love that you named him as Mouser. That's his name in the movie. Donald is his name in Pitch Perfect, and that's all I can see him as. So that's my reason for calling him that. But um yeah, I think that it's realistic. Again, I'm go back to that word because this feels like such a real struggle for people in this industry. And if you're creating something, where is, you know, the line between being an indie creator and making no money or doing this thing and, you know, likely completely failing? That's the odds, right? They're not with you. <laughs> or do you go be part of the big machine and just do the smaller part, but make money and pump out the next Assassin's Creed, right? or pump out the next Far Cry that come out every single year and look almost no different at all. And that's what Antoine is about. Like that's what he's, he's big game. He's the AAA company who, as he says, it's all about the sequel, wicka wicka, right? And I love, I love his line. He's like, if I was gonna sell you Kentucky Fried Chicken, 
No, it would be. Al would you want Albuquerque boiled turkey? No, I'd sell you Kentucky Fried Chicken Chicken because you like Kentucky Fried Chicken. And there's an element of it, it, he's played so over the top. I actually love his character in this, and I typically don't. And my goodness, it is he's really eccentric. But the thing is, there are a lot of these. He's exaggerated even for the eccentricity of the industry. But there are people that are like this on a lesser level and that think like this, right? And the reason they think like this, Patrick, is because we vote with our dollars and because we tell them that this is what we want. Free Guy 2 succeeds because people will buy it. People will pre-order it. And, and I love that part of this movie. There's an element where Antoine keeps harping on. He's like, got to get pre-orders up. Got to get pre-orders up. I don't care what's happening right now. Got to get pre-orders up. Pre-order culture is horrible. And I participated in the movie and video game world, my fair share, but it is terrible. Like we are buying something and giving somebody money for a thing that has not been proven to be worth anything, right? It's a bet. It is a gamble. And it has created a world in which companies rely on that in order to even get by, right? And, and I don't know that I love that. There's, I guess on one side, I can see it because you want the money so they can keep doing the thing then there's no accountability to the fact that they gave you crap, right? Or they didn't do the job that you were expecting them to do. And so yeah. the movie comments on that. And it's just this idea of like original versus sequel, I think is important because we say we all want the original, but then when the movie comes out in the theater, the movie bombs, I'll tell you this weekend. And I know it, there's all these factors involved, right? There's a million factors involved, but look at this. You have The Last Duel, which is a two and a half hour adult drama with a heavy topic that is a historical epic of sorts that is like completely and utter and made by Ridley Scott with a slew of both popular and critically acclaimed actors, right? Same Jodie Comer from this movie is in it. Adam Driver, Critical Darling popularity of a Ben Affleck and a Matt Damon being your leading stars and a Ridley Scott attached to it. And yet it's completely, completely and utterly bombed. But you have Halloween kills that makes a crap ton of money and every almost to a man, the most, the, the most critics have have said it's completely trash, right? But it makes a ginormous amount of money because people go see it because it's another Halloween sequel, right? It's a perfect example of this. So him going for that makes perfect sense. It is cutthroat and it's not about being ethical. It's about making money. And I think that it captures that so well about the real issues within the industry. There's also, I just wanted to point this out. People who don't know, like the fact that they show that one moment where Keys and Mouser go into this like glassed off break room in the center of their workspace and it has towers of cereal and bagels and like all this food and stuff for free that is what startup life is like here in seattle i i, I don't know and probably in san francisco as well in the silicon valley but like that is a big selling point of game companies and of other tech related industries that are very like this like they have that stuff for you largely because they expect you to work <laughs> a whole heck of a lot. And so they try to make the workspace as comfortable so you don't 
think about how, how many hours you're pumping into this job. But I, I just think it does all kinds of really good commenting on the reality of the game industry with that crazy character in the plot. Yeah, absolutely. And to do that, this is what makes, I think, effective comedy work for me. And I, I do stress for me. Because like you, I wasn't a fan of the crass jokes, and it, that just doesn't make me laugh. It makes me feel awkward. In some ways, there are a lot of things about this movie that I wish I could show my eight-year-old because it's lots of fun. But language notwithstanding, there are a couple of moments where I'm like, really? Did you do that? Are you kidding me? Um, but one of the highlights for me was, was Antoine because of his eccentricness. And I think that even someone who doesn't understand that world like I do, I get the... I get the personality. I get the emphaticness of how important that is. And it, you know, I was thinking about this today with regard to Ed Odron, two years removed from an amazing national championship run, being asked to step down as head coach of my LSU Tigers. And it's that, what have you done for me lately mentality. In a lot of ways, you can't just revel in a property, whether it's original or it's an IP, you have to think, how is this going to propel something forward? I think when you look at major properties like Iron Man or Batman, you're not thinking about, will this be a standalone? You're thinking about, what will the sequel look like? I just finished Squid Game last week. And what does it do? It teases us with the sequel or with the second season. Or does it? You go online, like, when's the second season coming out? Well, you listen to the creator and he's like, yeah, I haven't really thought about that. Really? You haven't? So for my money, I'm like, are you kidding me? But then I forget, wait a minute. I enjoyed the series. I enjoyed the adventure. Why is it that I'm now negating a piece of the series because of the fact that I'm not getting a continuation? And I think some of that's on the, you know, that some of that's the fault of the creators to kind of leave it open-ended. I think that more stories should have closure. I think that more stories should be you know, self-contained. I think that's why some of my favorite James Bond movies are Dr. No, Goldfinger, because they're self-contained. I don't need to know what happened to Dr. No to appreciate Goldfinger. We don't have a lot of those in a, in a universe that we can enjoy. We have to have everything interconnected. And I think it's because we always want to harken back to something that's familiar. I think, honestly, if we're going to get philosophical here, I think we're afraid of unknown things. And this came out, this conversation came out on Screen Rant. I remember reading something about Tomorrowland, one of the early movies that we actually covered on our show. Very underappreciated. Why? While it was based on an IP, it was a very original story. And it was getting lambasted just for the same reasons that a movie like American Ultra was, because these were movies that didn't have a connection to anything, loosely to Disney, but really it was a story not about a theme park, not about a, you know, it wasn't like Pirates of the Caribbean based off of a ride. This movie, along with American Ultra, were original stories, and it's really difficult, I think, for an audience to latch on to that. And look, the movie industry, the game industry, these two behemoths that make a ton of money and are good for our economy, they know what they're doing. And so you get things that, from my taste, are lesser forms of their predecessor. It's why I was disappointed with Toy Story 4, because I felt like, you've completed the story for me. Why did you do that? And look, I mean, you and I disagree on, on how we feel about it. 
But I think we both have this understanding that, look, at some point you have to let something just be. Let it rest. Let it be its own thing. And it's why I can appreciate television that's interconnected, which is why I had my frustrations with the second season of Ted Lasso. Each individual episode, phenomenal. But as a season, B+. Because nothing felt complete. Movies, especially in a world of a universe, I'm less concerned about that. I'm more about give me individual stories. Give me two hours of, of my life where I'm going start, middle, end. And I don't have to worry about what's happened before. Uh, I think the last three episodes of the main Star Wars franchise could have been that way. I don't think that was appropriate for them because... The first six were all interconnected. So to have individual stories being told for seven, eight, and nine was probably not the best decision. And I think that's why we got what we did with, with the ninth one to try to tie these things together. Ironically, though, per my own kind of judgment, The Last Jedi was actually my favorite of the three. Why? Because it told a different story. It still wrapped itself up in the mythos of the Star Wars universe, but it felt refreshing it felt new it felt like something different and that wasn't great for a lot of people why are you screwing up my mythology why are you changing my star wars characters and i think that's what we get with with properties like this we talk about the last of us and you and i felt absolutely in love with that story and we're like you don't need to tell another one i have not played the sequel it's sitting in my queue ready to play at some point when I'm ready to fight depression or at least go into a deep void of, of darkness. But I'm looking at your top 50 games and it's on there. So if you can tell an effective story, cool. I, I, it's just difficult. And I think that I would rather have my video games and my movies not have to rely on things that come after them for them to be successful. If I can watch Pirates 1, and not have to worry about Pirates 2 through 12 or however many came after that, that makes me happy because you told me a complete story. Same thing with playing Spider-Man. I've got Miles Morales ready to go too, but I'm satisfied with Spider-Man because it's a great story, and I'm more inclined to fall in love with individual stories, whether they're in video games or movies, than I am when you're telling me I have to watch all these shows and all these movies to make sure I get that one little Easter egg that's going to be a great payoff at the end of the eighth episode of the latest Marvel series. It frustrates me to no end, Aaron. And, well, I, and I, wanna, I don't want that anymore. You know, I'm kind of done with all that. Well, I want to ask you, though, bringing your rants back to the movie. That, I, I apologize. Mean, and I'm not, no, you don't need to apologize <laughs> at all. I, I agree. I and mean, that's what it that's. This is the conversations that this movie and these these topics evoke. Right. That's the whole point. And that's what makes it interesting. But I do want to, there's the one thing that I kept teasing earlier that I wanted to get your opinion on. The movie essentially is making Antoine a villain, right? He is the wrong way. The, the desire for sequels and IP recognition is what we don't want. We want to focus on the indie, indie creative side and the new and the fresh and the interesting we don't want to just sell things because we liked it before and it didn't change and we will buy more of it. And then the movie makes these choices because Fox got bought out by Disney in the process of this movie 
coming into existence. And so now it's owned by Disney. And Disney throws in this very small but impactful sequence in the finale, in the climax, I guess, where we get Captain America's shield, we get a Hulk fist, and we get a freaking lightsaber. And the crowd went nuts. I myself got a a recognizable surge in energy within me. I was excited. It wasn't on the level of like the Avengers, you know, end game moment with Cap and Thor's hammer, right? Because there's just a lot more, there's a whole bunch of history that leads up to that. But it's a, a somewhat similar feeling when you get that, that theme drop in the music and the score, and that comes on screen for a brief second. And you're just like, oh my gosh, he did not just do that. And I love it every single time I see it in this movie. But it got me to thinking, is there a hypocrisy to this? Because the movie is profiting and benefiting off of IP recognition in a finale where it did not have any of that previously. This movie's not Disney. There's not other Disney things happening in the movie. It has nothing to do with Disney at all in this world. But randomly they choose these things to make the audience get excited and go nuts while simultaneously somewhat preaching to us in the story that ips and sequels and our obsession with them is not really a good thing and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way all i saw from that aaron was disney saying look what we own that's all it was to me because it didn't it didn't change anything all he did i mean if we look at the action he blocked dude's punch and he punched him with with Hulk's fist. Obviously, you could have done something else. We knew that he was going to be defeated or at least guy was going to win. All that was to me was the exact same thing that Ralph Breaks the Internet did when they show off the Internet. And there's these five little doorways that show Marvel, Pixar. Disney, Muppets, Nat Geo or whatever. I mean, this all this is, this is what pisses me off because I think that sometimes the behemoth has gotten too big for its britches, but this is what we buy into. I was, I, I laughed and I thought that was kind of cool. I thought, you know, the Chris Evans, like, you know, eight, you know, holy ass moment was like hilarious because, you know, you know, language, you know, whatever. It's very self-aware and I think it's smart, not because you want that, kind of oh my gosh they really did that but more so it's tongue-in-cheek saying look at this look how big we are we pretty much own everything you know and we can just do anything we want that's a little arrogant to me but it's also pretty entertaining and so that's where i get conflicted because i'm like i remember back in the day when these were actually competing companies not anymore disney owns everything i mean why not show you know, a Super Bowl ring or something, or Tom Brady, you know, watching something, you know, because they, you know, they own ESPN or you know something like that. I, I don't know. But for me, it wasn't, it wasn't hypocritical in that the movie itself was preaching one message and here we get something else. I think that was more of a nod to the distributor, the company that said, look, we, we really, we are the behemoth and we're not going to apologize for that. Well, Shockingly, it wasn't Deadpool. I, I think I, that was the surprise to me is that it wasn't a Deadpool reference and Ryan Reynolds 
somehow bringing Deadpool into this movie, which would have been extremely on brand. But I do love that he's able to bring his friends in, whether it's Channing Tatum, the cameo. I don't love the ultimate direction where Channing Tatum goes because he's got that dumb scene where he's the kid in the basement, which I that is like probably the one full scene I would just cut. I don't like in the movie. But the opening sequence when he's doing the narration and it's Channing Tatum that's dropping in the world. I remember, man, in the theater, like at the press screening. And, and then I also went opening weekend as well to take my kids back in IMAX. And just when you when you saw that, no one knew Channing Tatum was in this movie. And it was like, oh, my gosh, like that's how we're starting. That was awesome. Not knowing Hugh Jackman was in it as the person in the alley that Molotov got, girl gets the uh, plans from. Yeah. And that ultimately gets killed by her. But you can recognize his voice if you know it. That's well, cool. You can recognize his Wolverine voice. He was not using, he, he was, it wasn't Hugh Jackman's accent voice. It was his American, which I thought was really interesting. When I listened to it, I was like, this is not Hugh Jackman being Hugh Jackman. I think this is Hugh Jackman being his American character, whether that's Wolverine or somebody. I don't think he was being Wolverine per se, but I think. People know him by his American voice equally as much as they know him by his Australian voice. That's fair. That's fair. And that's probably by design. Like, it, it wasn't meant to be obvious, right? It's a cool little nugget that once you know, it's really neat the next time you watch it to see that. And then the Chris Evans thing, you know, I was reading about how Ryan texted him and was like, hey, can you come over for like a day? And Chris like came down for one day. I think it was like a couple hours and was in and out, filmed a scene and left. And it, and he did it because it was a friend. Like it wasn't, he didn't even know what Ryan called him for when he went to do it. He just went. And that kind of story is really neat too, because you have this world that for all of its positives, its negatives, like Marvel's created true camaraderie between these actors in these series and and i love just seeing people and celebrities that have genuine relationships with each other no matter what the case is obviously ryan and hugh is another example of that sure. this joke feud that they've had for years yeah um, they clearly are super close yeah and, and that stuff's fun well and i think all those references and all those little nods didn't take away they weren't distracting they were just like quick little uh, was that was that Chris Evans? Oh, it was Chris Evans, right? Okay, cool. And I think that to me, that's that's just how I, I think that is an indication of good story beats about when to let something linger and when to let it, you know, be very quick. Um, as an editor, I think that's a really key thing to do to recognize the direction of your uh, of your director and your writers. I mean, that's that's what I think a creative team is able to do. That camaraderie that you speak of. I think Sean Levy, for the most part, is a fave director of mine. There are things that I don't like that he's done, but there are things that I've loved. Like, I loved Real Steel. You know, it's just a, a great movie. <laughs> Glad we don't have a sequel to that. You know, it's a great story in and of itself. But I think when you have a cast of people, especially in, in that world that the, you know, the MCU has created, when you have a, a team of screenwriters that understand each other's little quirks and their story beats that's when i think you can say yep we don't need to stay here very long just boom and it's done same thing with those little nods to 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 the shield and to to hulk's fist and to the lightsaber i think that total was maybe less than a minute of of the film didn't need it it was just great kind of fodder for 
for the movie to make a point. And again, I don't think it was about IPs and, and versus original. I think it was really about just showing off the interconnectivity of, of a company that has just made incredibly smart business decisions. And, you know, love them or hate them, it's a, it's a good thing for the, for the business. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's great in the movie. It's, it's enjoyable. It's fun. It's exciting. I personally wish it had been video game related. And that was my only thing. It's like, I can, I can see the side where it's like, oh, what do you want to play with in a video game? Wouldn't it be cool if we could play with Captain America's shield and, and a lightsaber? Yes, obviously. But I mean, it, like when you had the portal gun, I think it would have been so neat to bring in two or three iconic video game, bring in a Halo mass, uh, energy sword, like something that is very recognizable, that is specific to the culture and not, but not a way to prop up yourself. But whatever like you said it's a couple of minutes it is super fun and it, and it definitely is not a problem overall well i also fell in love with jodie comer in this movie by the way didn't know she existed until this uh, i've got all of her series now on my watch list i think killing eve is like a big one i'm excited to watch more of her because i think she is amazing she was the best thing about the last duel movie i mentioned earlier that's out now by far uh, so i i love that as well i don't have anything else patrick do you have anything else you want to cover? I don't. I think it. Uh, we pretty much solved that one. Um, if Free City 2 comes out, please don't buy it. You know, let it do its thing, get the bugs worked out, and you know, hold off on your uh, your 50 or $60 or how much it would cost to, to buy that. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Feeling Film. We are going to be back next week with, well, we'll call it a pretty anticipated, pretty highly anticipated movie that, that Aaron has been looking forward to uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune, which this will actually be the first time that I actually see anything related to Dune, which Aaron has told me, yes, that's totally fine. Don't need to go back and experience all that. So that's coming to you next week. So in the meantime, stay positive and do all that stuff. Thanks for the great conversation as always, Aaron, and we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.